Hi everyone, this is Aaron Cohen, and I hope you'll join me for a sneak peek of Season 4 coming up in June. I'll talk about the new season and play one of the new episodes. However, this is only for our Patreon subscribers. So sign up on Patreon and you'll get an invite. There's a Patreon link in the show notes for this episode and on our website. I hope to see you there. Season 3 of Embrace Everything, The World of Gustav Mahler, was made possible by a generous grant from the Kaplan Foundation. You can find a complete list of pieces and performers featured in this episode on our website, theworldofgustavmahler.org. Mahler's Third Symphony, which he considered his joyful science, began with the birth of consciousness in the first movement, the evolution of plants in the second movement, the evolution of animals in the third movement, and the evolution of humanity in the fourth movement. Now the move upwards continues in the fifth movement, and we leap into heaven, populated with angels. A dramatic contrast to the mystery of the fourth movement, the fifth movement is a choral movement with a mezzo-soprano soloist, and Mahler uses a much larger palette of musical colors. In this episode, we'll take apart the lyrics, then we'll talk about what musical forces Mahler used to set the text, and finally, we'll hear the actual fifth movement. I'm Aaron Cohen. I hope you enjoy it. For this sparkling movement, Mahler's lyrics drew once again on an anthology of German folk poems titled Des Knaben Wunderhorn, the Boy's Magic Horn Collection. The song is called Three Angels Sang a Sweet Song. This is a story song with an unusual group of narrators and speakers, a troop of child angels. Here are the lyrics in translation on top of an arrangement of the fifth movement for brass quintet. A narrator sets up our scene. Three angels sang a sweet song. With blessed joy it rang in heaven. They shouted too for joy that Peter was free from sin. Peter is the central figure in our story. And as Lord Jesus sat at the table with his twelve disciples and ate the Last Supper, Lord Jesus said, Why do you stand here? When I look at you, you're weeping. Peter responds fearfully. And should I not weep, gracious God? The angels, speaking for Jesus, reply. You should not cry. You should not cry. Back to Peter. But I have violated the Ten Commandments. I wander and weep bitterly. The angels insist. You should not cry. You should not cry. Peter isn't convinced. Oh, come and take pity on me. The angels, speaking for Jesus, give Peter advice. If you have violated the Ten Commandments, then fall on your knees and pray to God. Love only God for all time. So will you gain heavenly joy. Our narrator returns to close out the story. The heavenly joy is a blessed city. The heavenly joy that has no end. The heavenly joy was granted to Peter through Jesus and to all humanity for eternal bliss. The text comes from the third volume of Des Knaben Wunderhorn, published by Arnim and Brentano in 1808. This anonymous folk poem was originally preserved as a printed leaflet, an inexpensive reproduction of a popular song that could be easily shared and widely distributed. As he often did, Mahler made important changes to the original text, aiming to refocus the message he wanted to convey. For more details, I spoke to Joanna Neely, a professor of German at Oxford University, 
So first of all, when the solo voice asks, And should I not weep, gracious God? The choir answers with a line that isn't in Arnhem and Brentano's version. You should not cry. You should not cry. And that's important because the poem's about redemption. And Mahler's version seems to emphasise there's no more need for penance or guilt. There's no more need for tears. Mahler believed everyone should be forgiven for their sins. No one is perfect, and we all learn from our mistakes. This also ties in with the thinking of the philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche. Nietzsche felt religion was far too obsessed with guilt. The other line that Mahler changed was this one. Love only God for all time. In Arnhem and Brentano's version, this line isn't love God for all time, but bete zu Gott nur alle Zeit, which means and pray to God for all time. So the shift from praying in Arnhem and Brentano to loving um, suggests more of a focus on redemption and love. This change is important because it sets up the final movement, which will focus on love. Mahler called the fifth movement, What the Angels Tell Me. It celebrates the joy of returning to a state of innocence by directing one's love upwards. And this celebration requires some unusual musical forces. A children's choir, a women's chorus, an alto soloist, and a huge orchestra that included a formidable instrument Mahler also used in his second symphony, the bells. Mahler had two large bells specially forged for his second symphony. Marilyn McCoy, a music professor at Columbia University in New York City. He loved that instrument. Uh, it's a powerful instrument. In the second symphony, Mahler used the bells in only two places. In his third symphony, a whole movement features the bells. I think they had always for him a kind of magic or a kind of power. And so in the fifth movement of the third, it's the magic of the bells. There are four tune bells and also bell-like sounds, which are sung by the children's choir for most of the piece. For more background, I spoke to James Burton, choral director of the Boston Symphony Orchestra. There are two choruses involved, so there's two distinct colors. The upper voices of a, a female symphony chorus and also a young voices choir, either all boys or a mixed voice choir. And the contrast between those two sounds is quite marked because of the age of the singers, especially considering that the tessitura they're singing at, the, the pitch level they're at, is essentially the same. So the two groups are independent but interlocked at the same time. The women's chorus act as the main narrator for much of the time, which brings us back to the text that Mahler set for these groups of singers. Joanna Neely. It's a very simple rhyme scheme. We have rhyming couplets. Gesang, Klang, Dabei, Frei, Sass, Ass, Hier, Mir, Gott, Gebot. It goes on like that. So it's quite, maybe quite childlike in its simplicity here. I asked James Burton, what other great works feature choruses singing the role of angels? The ones that have interested me recently are the, the choice of using children's voices at the end of uh, Berlioz's Damnation. Uh, where the children, they come on right at the end of the evening to provide this sort of angelic redemption uh, uh, colour. Berlioz's Damnation of Faust premiered in 1846. And here we have another massive work for orchestra, soloists, chorus, and children's chorus. 
Although the music is very different, like Mahler's Third Symphony, the children's chorus is used in only one key place, and a very special place. Which brings us to the fact that Mahler loved children, and children loved him. Marilyn McCoy. And this is another thing that kind of is shocking when we hear lots of stories of how mean Mahler was in rehearsal and how he could, it was just so demanding and so unpleasant, but he loved children. I guess he would just like throw himself down on the floor and start playing with them. He loved children and I think was very childlike. And uh, many of his closest friends talk about this. And, um, and I think he identified with children. There's important symbolism to having children in this movement about angels. In Friedrich Nietzsche's book, Thus Spoke Zarathustra, he said this, The child is innocence and forgetting, a new beginning, a game, a self-propelled wheel, a first movement, a sacred yes. Mahler's close friend Siegfried Lippener, a poet, playwright, and philosopher who greatly influenced Mahler, loved to quote a specific part of the Gospel of Matthew. Thus, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What do children think of singing Mahler's Third Symphony? I spoke to Megan and Hannah Lawrence, ages 14 and 12, who perform with the Boston Symphony Children's Chorus. I love it. This is the second time Hannah and I have done it, and I just think it's so amazing. I've honestly never heard a piece of music like it. It's a really good experience, so, yeah. (laughs) The children have two distinct roles during the fifth movement. So in the first part, we're just singing Bim Bam, which is supposed to be like ding dong, like, like the bells. The bells like and the angels. Yeah, and then when we start speaking German, we're supposed to be the angels, and we're talking about loving our God. What's the children's favorite part to sing? Probably like when, when we come in for the Liebe Nugat, because that's when everybody kind of comes together. Yeah. It's like the finale, and it's, it's yeah, really um, spectacular. Yeah. <laughs> and this line, love only God, is the most important line in the entire piece. Here is the fifth movement of Mahler's Third Symphony. Three angels sang a sweet song. With blessed joy it rang in heaven. They shouted too for joy that Peter was free from sin. As Lord Jesus sat at the table with his twelve disciples and ate the Last Supper, Lord Jesus said, Why do you stand here? When I look at you, you're weeping. A mezzo-soprano sings the role of St. Peter, and the women's chorus sing the angel's role, telling him not to cry. And should I not weep, gracious God? You should not cry. You should not cry. But I have violated the Ten Commandments.
I wander and weep bitterly. You should not cry. You should not cry. Oh, come and take pity on me. We need to step back here and listen to an earlier text Mahler set to music, another poem from the Boy's Magic Horn Collection, a song called The Heavenly Life. In the summer of 1895, when Mahler was working on the Third Symphony, his plan was to have seven movements, and this song was supposed to serve as the final movement. This would have tied in nicely, because the heavenly life is meant to be sung by a childlike angel in heaven. Mahler later decided to remove the seventh movement, and instead used it as the basis and the finale for his fourth symphony. But echoes of it remain in the third symphony, both here and in the second movement. Listen closely to this part of The Heavenly Life, which features a soprano. And compare it to this part of the fifth movement, which features a mezzo-soprano. here has changed gears. The joy becomes clouded over with other concerns. Marilyn McCoy. You get this feeling of bitterness and sin and even um, something very threatening and so kind of a new storm wind blows. But the angels return with their advice for Peter. If you have violated the Ten Commandments, then fall on your knees and pray to God. Love only God for all time. So you will gain heavenly joy. The heavenly joy is a blessed city. The heavenly joy that has no end. The heavenly joy was granted to Peter through Jesus and to all humanity for eternal bliss. Twelve-year-old Eamon Greiner, who sings with the St. Paul's Boys Choir in Boston, says this mix of musical forces is perfect. Yeah, well, especially with the whole orchestra and the harps and the beautiful alto solo, you kind of feel elevated, and you kind of feel like angels. And now we're ready for the sixth movement, the final step in Mahler's joyful science. <laughs> 